Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 225. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. It's college graduation time. It's NBA Finals time. It's Ukraine Spring Offensive time. It's almost summertime. And for some key insurrectionists, it's judgment time. And it's definitely been a time to stay vigilant. But we do start with the verdict just in tonight. The leader of the Oath Keepers found guilty of seditious conspiracy leading to the mob attack on January 6th. Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the far-right militia group, along with one of his followers, found guilty of plotting to use force to keep Donald Trump in power. A victory for the Justice Department tonight and the first time a jury has found the capital violence was in fact the product of an organized conspiracy. Prosecutors alleged the plot started after the 2020 election and ended with the mob attack on the Capitol. Seditious conspiracy carries a possible maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. 20 years in prison is the max. And Rhodes has only been sentenced to 18 years. It's not enough. Not nearly enough. And I joined MSNBC and Nicole Wallace last week with more. Stuart Rose is an enemy of America. He is a terrorist. He is a traitor. He is a seditionist. And he should be locked up for the rest of his life. He is an immediate threat. He continues to blatantly say he will continue to attack America. He's not America's Nelson Mandela. He's America's Osama bin Laden. And the Oath Keepers are more like ISIS. We have to treat this like a national security issue and not just like a political issue. Stuart Rose should be in Guantanamo. And so should anyone else who was there on January 6th trying to violently overthrow our government and who are still continuing to do that. This is bigger than a political movement. It's, in my view, an American insurgency. It's a group of people who are organized to violently overthrow our government that are fueled by leaders like Stuart Rhodes. So he needs to be in prison. Lock him up. Lock them all up, put Flynn in there, too, and recognize that Trump is also fueling this American insurgency. And it must be recognized as the number one national security threat in our country in the same way bin Laden and al-Qaeda was after 9-11. If you're a regular listener of this show, this is not new to you. You understand what's happening. You understand what's happened. And you understand what could happen next. And I've been sounding the alarm on this show, as have many of my guests, since long before January 6th. And we're sounding it again now. You know, the 9-11 Commission did get to the bottom of 9-11. And we all sat around and said, how many signs did we ignore? Every day we're covering the signs. There are little Oklahoma cities. There are little Wacos happening on infrastructure, happening on political leaders, happening on our capital every single day. And this is the time for us to look at the signs and respond to the signs in the way we wish we did before 9-11. It shouldn't take a building getting blown up. It shouldn't take Stuart Rhodes being released or even his minions acting on the stuff we're hearing today. That is how immediate it is. And I think we can't count on the Democrats alone to defend this. It's got to be the FBI, the CIA, the national security apparatus, 
because they're already in this and they're putting it out to the public saying we're concerned about it. We need you to be concerned about it. So it's long past the days of see something, say something. Right. You've got to get involved now and fight this for the national security threat it is. Look, I've been doing all I can to wake people up. And if you're new to this show, I hope you're awake now. Because the threat to America right now is not wokeism. It's sleepiness. It's complacency. It's division. It's distraction. It's not people who are too woke. It's people who are asleep at the wheel, especially in Washington. And it's long past time to stop going slow on domestic terrorism. And it's long past time to stop going soft on terrorism. For it in any way. 18 years is not enough. Someone argued the penalty for sedition is death. And, and that is a conversation that the country has to have. We have to have this out in the open. This may, we wouldn't let Osama bin Laden walk in 18 years. Why are we going to let this guy walk in 18 years? Like we have to understand how high the stakes are and hold all of our leaders accountable to respond to their number one duty, which is to keep us safe. Keep all of us safe. Keeping us safe is the number one job for the commander in chief. And while I support much of what Biden has done, and of course, I would never vote for Trump over him, he's not doing enough. Biden and the Democrats are not being hard enough on the seditionists, the domestic terrorists, the members of the American insurgency, the enemies of our country who have attacked our nation and are right now planning to do it again. But some are coming at me instead of coming at our enemies. After that appearance on MSNBC, someone named Dr. Allison Gill, who is the host of the Mueller She Wrote podcast and the Daily Beans podcast, tweeted, Whoever this guy is on Deadline White House, Paul Rykoff, I think, advocating for the death penalty for seditious conspiracy is wrong and dangerous. The sentencing guidelines are clear. It was explained in detail in the sentencing memo. He should read it. Well, I had read it, and I tweeted back, Hi, I'm that guy. You miscategorized my statement. Here's a clip. It's at minute 13 and 15 seconds. And what's really dangerous is going easy on a terrorist who told us he will attack again. A guy who would walk with a pardon if Trump gets elected. Sorry, I'm not big on going easy on terrorists. And I'm not. I've said it before, and I will keep saying it until it happens. Lock them up. Lock them all up. Forever. Showing any plotting or future seditionist that the penalty for attacking America is severe and swift is essential. Show them that pain will come if they cross that line. Show them that they will pay. Show them that we will lock them up. Send them to Guantanamo with the other terrorists and don't ever let them out. Don't ever let them out so they can return to attack us again. Just like some members of Al-Qaeda years ago who were in Gitmo only to be released back onto the battlefield to take out our troops. We've been here before, people. In 2021, 20 years after the 9-11 attacks, U.S. intelligence documents revealed that 229 former Gitmo detainees had returned to terrorism and killing Americans. 
and an alarming 66% of them had not been captured and were still at large. Now, there's plenty wrong with Gitmo, but there's also plenty of room now. I say fill it up with seditionists like Stuart Rhodes and his Oath Keeper minions and the guy who still uses the title General Mike Flynn and anyone else who's working or acting to violently overthrow our government. We can't give them a chance to attack again because they've already told us that they will. This is beyond partisanship. It's beyond the squabbling in Washington that happens every single day. This is about whether the American government and our political system in 2023 can move quickly and dynamically enough to meet the threat, the number one national security threat. A week after Memorial Day and more than 20 years after 9-11, lots of people still use the hashtag and wear the t-shirts and display the bumper stickers that say never forget. I was there at Ground Zero on 9-11, and I never forget. And especially if you're in elected office, if you work in government, if you control and direct resources ranging from the FBI to the CIA to the DOD, and if you talk to the American people, it's time to show that you really never forget. We've been here before. If we really never forget, let's never forget that last time we ignored the signs. And this time, we shouldn't do the same. Because stakes is high. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. You talking about Stakes have never been higher. And our dysfunctional government, enabled by the dysfunctional and codependent two-party duopoly, cannot respond fast enough. Whether it's reacting to January 6th, or supporting Ukraine, or preventing stupid shit like this asinine debt limit fight, as our guest last episode, Gideon Yego, identified, America is broken. The machine is broken. But it's not beyond repair. But we do have to start with recognizing that the machine is broken and needs to be rebuilt. Not just tinkered with, but rebuilt from the ground up and rebuilt better. We need to go from the broken down Model T internal combustion engine vehicle we're driving now to a self-driving, electric, flying F1 car of the future. And we have to do this while we're whizzing around the world full of potholes with a backseat full of hungry, screaming kids. It sure as hell ain't going to be easy. But we can do it. And we must do it. And we have to fight against the status quo maintainers, the grifters, and the ignorant many that want to stay stuck in the old days, largely because it benefits them. And coming up, we'll dive into all of that with a powerful and dynamic next-generation leader who is well-positioned to guide that rebuild and maybe drive it too. But first, as college graduation season is here, the heat waves are coming. The Miami heat are also coming. And the end of my kids' very long school year approaches. There are some issues that need to be on your summer radar.
So, as you heard, I was on MSNBC last week to cover some of the latest national security and political news. And every single time I'm on that network, and I mention that I'm an independent, the same thing happens. Social media lights up. For example, Vote Blue 2020. LT Flora Politics, who describes themselves as passion politics, proud Democrat, pro-choice, lifelong news junkie, foodie, wine, and cat owner, all opinions are my own, wrote to me, Full stop. You are the most disappointing guest I've heard on Nicole D. Wallace. You are advocating for another Trump presidency with your irresponsible ideas. I am a proud Democrat. I don't vote Democrat by default. And I do listen to Joe Biden. Hashtag proud blue. Okay. And then there was Kate the Great, who describes himself as BLM, riding with Biden, K-Hive Dreamers, pro-choice, still with her, vote blue MCU, turning Georgia blue. And Kate the Great said, and stop saying politicians have to earn your vote. You've got it backwards. You are have a civic duty to vote for the candidate who best represents your values period. So many of the partisan Dems are coming after me after being on NBC simply for being an independent. If I advocate for being an independent or question Biden and the Democrats in any way, they attack and insult. And they claim I'm helping Trump by questioning their party and their leaders. This often happens and they often get it wrong. No, Kate the Great on Twitter. You have it backwards. Independents don't all want a third party. Most want no party. And independents are 49% of the country and growing. And many independents understand that for president in 2024, an independent candidate would likely serve as a spoiler and help elect Trump. But that doesn't mean we can't still support independent candidates for other offices and support our broader movement for empowering independents. And to all of you who see one headline or a clip or an Andrew Yang tweet or a forward party effort and jump on all of us with fury and insults, understand the independent and democracy reform movement is broad and diverse and growing. And I go deeper on this show every single week. And if Dems really want to beat Republicans, they should also recognize their own weaknesses and that in many places they just can't do it. And maybe independents can. Ask Yemi Mobilati, the new independent mayor of Colorado Springs. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The future is not partisan. The future is independent. And more and more Americans simply want more and better options. And they're rejecting both parties. More people are leaving the GOP than the Democrats. Yes, that's true now. But even more young people are not joining either. They're rejecting the damning duopoly, the old broken structures, the same tired leaders, and the systems that block our voices from the process. Because tens of millions of independents, like me, still can't even vote in our publicly funded primaries. So all you partisans, especially those in leadership in the parties, you would be smart to do more listening and less attacking when it comes to us independents. Especially since we're now the largest group of voters and will determine almost every close election in the near future. The future is independent. 
and we invite everyone to be a part of it. The future is independent. Be a part of it. Leave the herds. Declare your independence. So we've had many good conversations about all this on independent Americans in the last few years with Republicans, Democrats, independents, and many who are somewhere else. And some of the best have been with John Updike from Open Primaries. He's like a godfather of the independent movement. The most recent one was episode 219, and I encourage you to check it out. And we all long for the days of bipartisanship and moderate leaders and leaders who put country first and for leaders that were also strong on national defense and leaders like Senator John McCain. Hold. That probably is the best face-saving way out of this conflict, isn't it, both for Moscow and Kiev in Ukraine? Vladimir Putin's ambitions were very well known to me and to others. He knew that uh, once Yanukovych left, he had to take Crimea because of Sevastopol. Then he tried the separatists. That didn't work. He armed the separatists. That didn't work. So then he sent in thousands uh, of Russian troops. Uh, the fact is that they were slaughtering uh, Ukrainians. There were hundreds killed, thousands in the hospitals. It's terrible. Poroshenko had no choice but to agree to a ceasefire. What is going to happen? I predict to you that it will be another step in Vladimir Putin's strategy to separate eastern Ukraine from Ukraine and perhaps a land bridge to Crimea. No, it's a very bad result. And again, we would not send weapons to the Ukrainians when they were begging for them. We wouldn't even give them intelligence because we didn't want to, quote, provoke Vladimir Putin. By showing weakness, we provoked Vladimir Putin. So John McCain had it right on Ukraine. He had it right on a lot of things. He had it wrong on some things, but he did have it right. And America and the world misses John McCain so much right now. Imagine if it was that man announcing his candidacy for the Republican presidential nomination last week instead of Ron DeSantis. What a different and better country and world it would be. And what a better position Ukraine would be in for sure. Because it's going to be a hot summer in Ukraine. The attacks have intensified by the day, and every night, Kiev is assaulted with rockets and missiles. And maybe the most heavily and intricately defended city in the world continues to repel the attacks bravely. And they do it now, thanks in part, to American Patriot missile systems that are working overtime. And the Ukrainians are now hitting back inside Russia. If you haven't heard, drones have hit Moscow in the apparent first attack on Russia's capital residential area since the Ukraine war began. The drone strikes damaged some buildings and forced Russian residents to evacuate home. Now, this was happening simultaneously as Kiev was being hit by the latest deadly Russian bombardment. That's pretty much daily. But Russia is rattled. And some in America and in the West are all bent out of shape about it. They say that the Ukrainians shouldn't be hitting back, which is just plain ridiculous. This is the fight of our time. This is the closest thing to World War II we've seen in our lives. Why do we think that the Ukrainians have to have a different standard than we would have? 
if our cities were being bombed, if our kids were being killed, we would want to punch back, too, and we'd want to punch back in Russia. We got hit here in New York City, and we invaded two countries and started a war for 20 years around the world. Why do we hold the Ukrainians to a different standard? We've got to let them persecute this war, fight their, for their country, give them all the weapons they need, and not play mother may I, and understand that war is going to be messy, and they may need to take the fight to Russia to win it. John McCain had it right. And right now especially, the world really misses him. And we're all starved for strong leadership. But there are some leaders out there we can look to, including the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Air Force General C.Q. Brown, who was formally nominated last week by President Biden. C.Q. Brown is a former fighter pilot, a trailblazer, and a down-to-earth leader. And his announcement last week was a historic day. America now has an African-American Secretary of Defense, Vice President, and soon Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And I've said it before publicly, and I think on this show, General Brown is a fantastic choice and an incredible and inspiring leader. I was with him at an event just a few weeks ago here in New York City, and he's one of the most humble, candid, and real flag-grade officers I've ever seen. He's amazing. All Americans should be proud and grateful to know that he'll be our next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I can think of no finer role model for our children and no better representative for our country to the world. So congratulations to you, sir. I invite you to join us on this show anytime. And congratulations to everyone who's been a part of your historic journey. Thank you for your tremendous service and leadership and all that is to come. We salute you. We're going to need you. You're definitely an example for all independent Americans. And when General Brown takes the role of chairman, he will have plenty to deal with, including whether or not the former president was sneaking classified documents. Because there is breaking news. CNN is now reporting that Trump has been captured on tape talking about classified documents he kept after leaving the White House. Apparently, the feds have obtained an audio recording of a summer 2021 meeting where Trump acknowledges that he held on to classified Pentagon documents about a potential attack in Iran. This undercuts his argument that he declassified everything. Now, nobody's heard the actual recording in the media yet, but it'll probably come out sooner or later. And this is obviously a very big deal. We all know that President Mayhem has always been sloppy, so this would be right on brand. And it would be damning. And beyond the Trump of it all, our enemies would be celebrating yet again. And speaking of enemies celebrating, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has not stopped giving them reason to do so. And therefore, I have a new nickname for him that I think really works. So here's another clip from Deadline White House with Nicole Wallace this week. He's radical. He's ridiculous. He's reckless. Uh, he is way out on a limb here, and he's happy to be there. I mean, he's become Senator Redneck. Like, who's the person who's going to pick the ridiculous position that would piss off the whole world, undermine our military, be steeped in racism? This is the same guy who made controversial comments about accepting white nationalists a couple weeks ago in the military. Tuberville has assumed the mantle. I mean, he's going to be the guy. Maybe he's jockeying for Trump and DeSantis's vice presidential nomination, (laughs) but he's not helping our military. And this is a real deal. Like, this is mucking up the works for the Pentagon across the world. And it's very serious. This is not a game, but his personal political crusade has now undermined our national security. And Republicans need to speak up. 
This used to be the party of Colin Powell and John McCain. It's not anymore. And Republicans need to speak up. Independents like me will, and I know Democrats will, but this is on Republicans to get them in check and stand with our military. Yep. We're going to call him Senator Redneck. And even Senator Redneck's own brother thinks he's wrong. His own brother posted on social media this week, what I'm trying to say is that I do not agree with any of the vile rhetoric coming out of his mouth. Please don't confuse my brother with me. Thanks, Charles Tuberville. So apparently, Tommy Tuberville's own brother, Charles, is denouncing his comments, his racism, and his fuckery. And there's more breaking. Not just breaking news, but things breaking all around Senator Tuberville. Wheels are coming off all around Senator Redneck in his office, as a senior advisor has now resigned following his military holds controversy. Morgan Murphy, a retired Navy reservist and former food writer who once attempted to sell a line of bacon products, you can't make this shit up, people, told the Post that he has explained all his options to Tuberville when the lawmakers sought to stop a new Pentagon policy that helps service members access abortion. But he is resigning. And this is all happening around the guy who wants to tell the Secretary of Defense how to handle staffing and command climate for the entire military. He is Senator Redneck. And I think that one might stick. Let me know what you think. It might be our best since Mayor Disaster or President Mayhem, a man who might one day, maybe, be in a jail cell just like Stuart Rhodes. And our guest is a person who can help us understand how likely that might be. She's a true American badass. She's an assistant dean and senior lecturer at Yale University's Jackson School of Global Affairs and a former associate dean at the Yale Law School. She served as a special agent in the New York Division of the FBI, specializing in counterintelligence investigations. Her work has involved assessing threats to national security, conducting classified investigations on suspected foreign agents, and performing undercover work. She's Asha Rangappa. Asha is smart, she is cool, and she knows her shit. While in the FBI, she got experience in electronic surveillance, interview and interrogation techniques, firearms, and the use of deadly force. She teaches and writes about national security law, information warfare, propaganda, and leadership ethics. She graduated cum laude from Princeton School of Public and International Affairs and was a Fulbright scholar who studied constitutional reform in Bogota, Colombia. She got her law degree from Yale and has published op-eds in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and others. She's been all over the media, as we'll talk about, and she's been a legal and national security expert for places like NPR, BBC, and all the major television outlets. She's also got a must-read Substack. she's a must-follow on Twitter, and she is an important and inspiring American who's shaping what America has been, what it is, and what it will be in the days ahead. She's a patriot, she's a role model, and she's a badass. Hey, 
Welcome to a look inside the response to the most significant attack on America since 9-11. Welcome to a conversation about the looming and rising threat that remains. Welcome to a glimpse into what a jail cell for Rhodes and Trump might look like. Welcome to a discussion about whether or not we're ready for the next January 6th or the next 9-11 or something even worse that could look like a demented combination of the two. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 225. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, I hope you had a reflective, restful, uh, and sobering Memorial Day weekend. Get a rest if you need it. We are back at it fast and fierce, and the world didn't stop for Memorial Day like most of America did. And I am so happy that we've got a guest um, joining us today who is someone I've admired and appreciated and really wanted to get on the show for a long time to talk about the most important parts of all of what's happening in America. Finally joining us, the great and powerful Asha Rangappa is on Independent Americans. Welcome, Asha. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we're like cable news friends. Like we've never, I don't know if we've ever actually met in a green room or not, but we've like been on shows together and like before and after each other. I right? think that's right. I think we've kind of been back to back. Um, obviously I follow you on Twitter and um, I think that we're simpatico and a lot of, you know, uh, things we're interested in and also how we approach some topics. So, yeah, I- I'm really excited to be here, too. But we have that like pandemic relationship where I don't think we've ever actually been in the same room together. Although it no. feels like it, right? It feels like I feel like <laughs> I know you sort of. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, especially we'll get to I want I want to get to media and what it's like to be a, a guest or free agent. I want to talk about the Rhodes verdict. I want to talk about Trump. I want to talk about your experience um, inside the FBI and all things national security. But just to, to ground us, um, Asha, where are you and how are you? Question I ask of all of our guests. I am in Hamden, Connecticut, which is just north of New Haven, Connecticut, which is where I work. And I'm doing great. Um you know, the weather is nice and that affects my mood a lot. So uh, for me, um, I've been enjoying the sunshine and I'm glad that it's summer. Um, I'm, for folks watching on video, I highly recommend you, you check uh, this part. Or if you're not watching on video, go back to this part because your cat just walked behind you, which is like why I love doing video. Can you tell us about your cat and what your cat's name is? Yeah, um, that's Pancake who you see in the background. Um, I got him in November. My last cat of 18 years passed away in September. And so, um, so pancake has joined the mix and, uh, he's kind of a nut. Uh, This is perfect because in in the extra section for our Patreon, I'm going to ask you the pancake waffles question, which you may, if you're not familiar with, that the the cat named Pancake is going to be perfect for that. So we're going to- Okay, perfect. We'll table that. that. Put that in the parking lot. Um, Asha, because in this show, we're always focused on national security um, and global security and military affairs and intelligence, a lot of the stuff that I think most of the cable news and conventional news doesn't cover. Can I ask you, as someone who's worked in that world, you've had a, a, an important career, a trailblazing career. Now you teach, but you've also been 
I think you've been undercover. You've worked inside the FBI. Can you talk about what FBI, um, what, what, what Memorial Day is like for someone who served in the FBI? I think all our military folks get a lot of attention, but maybe the CIA, FBI, and other folks that have served and died in the line of duty don't really get enough focus. Can you talk about your reflections on Memorial Day, given your, your background? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I I do think mainly of our military service people on Memorial Day, and I am sort of from a military family. I mean, my father was a military doctor at Fort Eustis, um, and so and I grew up in the Hampton Roads area around a lot of military folks. Um, you know, my my kid's dad is a former Air Force guy. My boyfriend is a Marine. Like, you know, so we're we're all I'm I'm kind of in the mix. And that's what I normally kind of focus on because and and it's not, I don't think that's to denigrate at all, like the service of um FBI agents and CIA officers. Obviously, everyone who serves, I think, um, you know, we should honor and especially people who um, have died in the line of duty. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, our military veterans like really do put themselves in harm's way and, you know, to really defend like so much that I, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of what I focus on. Mm. I, I, I appreciate it. I think, you know, you're one of the folks that have been on cable news trying to like translate national security and intelligence for I don't know, decades, at least I, I have been. But we were also talking before we warmed up um, about what it's like to be on constant call. Like, you know, I, I have not been a paid contributor on any of these cable news networks, but everyone, when I go home to my hometown, people think I'm rich because they see me on TV <laughs> all the time. They're like, you're on TV all the time. You must make that money like Cuomo and Matto. And I'm like, the only time I got paid, I think, was when I went on HBO real time and I got like 300 bucks. But for like 20 years, I've been up for grabs. Can you talk about what that's like, especially given we're in the national security environment where it's like something blows up or something happens and they call you? Yeah, it's the 24-7 call, you know, being on call is really, um, it's both exciting, but also exhausting, I, I think, especially when, you know, given the news cycle now. And I I didn't do this before the Trump administration, so I don't have any frame of reference, but it was insane, like starting in, you know, basically March of 2017 for me when Trump fired James Comey. And it was like kind of piranhas descending on all like former feds or something, you know, all the networks just needed everybody to talk about it. And it was just um, kind of a relentless cycle, which was also... Uh, you know, you get a lot of adrenaline and, you know, I was in the weeds of a lot of stuff. And it was really interesting because when COVID hit, it was like running on a treadmill and then like somebody just pulled the plug and, you know, it because it just stopped mm. for me. Like then doctors became the new, you know, lawyers, prosecutors, FBI agents. Like that's what who were the focus. And you realize like, you know, number one, how important expertise is, right? Like I was watching and I was like t looking for the doctors to tell me how to make sense of it, but also that the news cycle, like the news is fickle in a lot of ways. Like it can be really intense and then just, you know, disappear. Um, and that, that is also just weird 
to have it like all be there and then you have no time and then suddenly it's just like silence you know um and that would happen like during things like natural natural disaster like if there was a hurricane or something like that like all of a sudden it'd be like weeks before you know you're on to talk about things that you're like there's actually other stuff going on in the world but yeah yeah, I, I feel the same way as a national security person. You know, the, the drivers know that if they're picking me up, something bad happened. And it's like, usually, okay, here I come. Like something got shot down or it's Memorial mm. Day or it's something sad or there was, you know, a, a military, um, I, I'm talking about Ukraine a lot. But can I ask you to, to use the term, if you're comfortable, on how you describe what it feels like? <laughs> um yeah. So do you mean like now, like in the last year? Yeah. Oh my God, that's yeah, my cat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I was with CNN for five years. Um, but then as of last spring in 2022, I became a free agent. I was not exclusive. And so I, but I was on a lot. I was called a lot to, to talk about stuff, especially after like the Mar-a-Lago search and all of that, uh, that stuff unfolded. Um, and, you know, I likened it to um, going from being engaged to being a booty call. Uh, <laughs> so, because you know, I was like exclusive, and we had a commitment, and you know, we kind of had gotten to know each other, and you know, I had a feel for what what I was giving and what they wanted. And then you're just in this free for all, and like kind of anybody who wants you, like gives you a call, and you know, you can't really say no because you kind of want it, but also like you're not really getting a lot back out of this whole situation, you know, um, you know. This is I the best know. description <laughs> of what it's like to be an unpaid contributor for the networks. This is this has been my life for 20 years. I mean, I was a booty call for everybody from PBS to Comedy Central for like the entire Iraq war for a long time. And because of my old job, I couldn't you know, as IAVA, we were we were nonpartisan. I needed I needed to be a free agent. I need to try to talk to as many audiences as I could. But especially in the last four years, um, yeah, booty call is exactly right. It's like every once in a while, my phone lights up and it says somebody from like BBC or it'll say PBS. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard from you in a while. You must need something, right? <laughs> and then similarly, for like years and years, MSNBC and I were like really dating and I was in the family. And then I just got on a shit list or something and I was off. And then here comes News Nation, which starts calling me all the time. And News Nation, you may or may not know, is kind of like a really dysfunctional booty call because like oh. six people will call me from different cities, Chicago, New York, and they all want me on at different times and none of them talk to each other. So sometimes you actually show up and there's there's no one there. And so that's like, oh my the gosh. Ultimate, I don't know. It's like, it's like being stranded at being the altar of a booty, a booty call. call. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I get ghosted on a booty call. When you, I, this is one I'll share. So I went into news nation a couple weeks ago and all their headquarters is in Chicago, but they had this new studio in New York and the earpiece wouldn't work. They just couldn't they have all these new people. They couldn't get the earpiece to work. So I'm trying to use the speakerphone and then Jerry Springer dies. And then they're like, okay, can you talk about Jerry Springer? And I'm like, yeah, I could shift from Ukraine to Jerry Springer. And then they're just like, oh, after sitting you in the chair for 30 minutes, we're just, we can't do this. We're, you're off. I was like, I took a car to Midtown. I was ready to talk about Ukraine, did all my research, then quickly prepared for Jerry Springer, and then just got cut completely. And they, oh gave, they gave me a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I felt it's, very used, Asha. I felt I very know, used. I know. I <laughs> know. Um, but you keep going back, you know, and I like not just you, like me, like it's sort of uh, it's addictive. 
and I don't need, I don't need nice things. Like it was nice to go to NBC where they send you like a car and, yeah. and they, you know, they greet you downstairs. Sometimes you go and they have no makeup. They don't even send you an Uber and you're like, you got to figure out how to get through security on your own. And, and you're in a building. that doesn't even belong to that media station. So you feel like you're kind of intruding. I don't know. I, I miss the days of COVID sometimes, Ash. Yeah. I mean, they treat you well on the booty call. Um, but yeah, it, it you know, they got a lot of numbers in their black book. So, um, well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad we got into that now <laughs> because really, because that's why I do this show because it's kind of an insight into the world that we live in for folks, especially who don't see it or understand how weird it can be. But, but maybe also a part of that is, um, I noticed consistently I'm the only person who served in any kind of uniform on TV, right? Oftentimes the host won't, won't have served. There'll be a politico or a journalist. And I am often the only veteran, the only military person. I'm sure you're the only fed oftentimes in these situations. And especially I think when, when we get to things like the Stuart Rose, uh, Rhodes verdict, um, I maybe have a different take from so many others that kind of become like group thing. But let me ask you before we get to Rhodes, Something I've been talking about, um, especially on cable news lately, is what I'm calling the American insurgency, um, the the organized group of people in this country that want to violently overthrow our government. And I think it's the number one story, definitely the number one national security 100%. story. Can, can you frame up, you know, and, and again, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the post 9-11 environment. You know, I, I see a lot of similarities in that I feel like this is uh, all the warnings of 9-11 that no one's listening to. When we right. said, you know, why didn't we listen to all the warnings of 9-11? Now they're out there. And, and uh, I said on um, Nicole Wallace's program, you know, they're talking about Stuart Rose and he's trying to claim that he's like the Nelson Mandela of America. He's more like Maktada al-Sadr or Osama bin Laden. But in my view, I think the threat is huge. But can you lay out, Asha, your your strategic overview of the threat environment that we face coming back from Memorial Day weekend when everyone's kind of nursing a hangover, or had a nice day at the beach, What's what's the threat environment like in your view? So I think the way I see it, and I, I'm basing this on, you know, the analysis of um, I've read Kathleen Ballou's, uh Bring the War Home. Um, it, what is it? White Power and Paramilitary America. Mm -hmm. um, and then I recently just read Jeffrey Tubin's um, Homegrown, which is about Timothy McVeigh and the rise of right-wing extremism. And, you know, the through line here, and this is basically starting from Vietnam through Oklahoma City to January 6th, is that, and we can talk about why this is, but we have a blind spot for uh, kind of the overall coherent ideology that's driving right, you know, these right-wing right extremists because we treat them as lone wolf actors. Like we treat each event as somehow this kind of one off instead of connecting the dots. And to use your 9-11 analogy, remember what was it, what the 9-11 commission said um, after, you know, in doing the, um, the postmortem of, of the intelligence failure was a failure to connect the dots. Right. There was a failure of imagination in terms of understanding what these people wanted to do and how they might achieve it. And then there was a failure to connect the dots. And I think we're seeing the exact same thing right now. Um, you know, we understood, at least after 9-11, that Al-Qaeda had an overarching philosophy that, you know, about 
uh, and the writings that it was based on and um you know what their overarching goal was and how things like the first world trade center bombing the coal attack like all of these things were progressions to some to you know all part of a greater plot plan really um and i think we need to do the same thing with all of these things that are you know happening even going back to oklahoma city um and you know Charleston, like, you know, these shootings that will just kind of will say, oh, that's just a mass shooting. I mean, no, this, these are all connected. Ideologically. Yeah, I, I, I've been trying to, to frame it up in, in, in that way because, um, you know, I've said that oftentimes the media is covering Trump like he's only a political story, like he's a normal candidate like Bob Dole. And I view him as, you know, the leader of a movement a movement that could have violent, more violent factions that could be united at times. But at the end of the day, for me, if I'm sitting at the Pentagon, I don't think about whether Trump becomes president. I think about whether or not he can mobilize a couple million angry people who have guns, right? And, and that feels like a conversation people are afraid to have in cable news. It feels like consistently they're afraid to name it for what it is, even after January 6th. So can you talk about Trump in particular? I, I mean, I've said it and I get hammered yeah. for it. I said, I think he is America's greatest national security threat, if only because he divides us, he, 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 he weaponizes language, he attacks groups of people. I think he is the thing that's hurting America the most right now and has the potential to do so going forward. How do you view him in particular in a national security framework? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, he's, he's a symptom of the larger threat, right? Like, He's not creating it. Um, this pre-existed, but what he is able to do because he's incredibly sad, rhetorically savvy. Uh, he's people hate it when I use this word, but it's true. He's charismatic, and you know he can suck all the air out of the room. Like you can't stop watching him, right? Like even if you don't like him, it's like it's just it's a train wreck. You have to watch him. And so he's able to just mobilize so much energy that he can channel this movement that used to be in the fringes. And then we also have at the same time, guardrails that have been completely eliminated, political guardrails where there was sort of an understood norm that we kept this in the shadows and in the fringes. And what we have are elected officials who've allowed it to become mainstream and this creates a perfect storm. And when you take someone like that who has that momentum and has that permission from one side of the political establishment and put them in the Oval Office, which is the most powerful office in the world, then, you know, what are you expecting to happen, right? I mean, to your point about... um leading all these people with guns, one of the things I've written about is how, you know, the framers of the Constitution included in the Army Clause a two-year's appropriations limit. And when I teach my national security law class, we talk about why. Why did they put a two-year limit for the Army, but not the Navy? And what did that reflect? It reflected the framers' fear of a large standing army, right? They had just, you know, had a king who sent his uh, army. And so, you know, that was the check. But what Trump has is a shadow army. Right. We have a shadow army now. Um, uh, people who are, you know, see him as their commander in chief, really, and are willing to 
execute his orders. And I think, you know, to go back to the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, that's how they saw him. Mm-hmm. They were interpreting his words in that way. Um, and I think we would be very naive and, um, you know, to, to ignore that. And we, we do so to our own detriment and peril, you know? Asha, as, as we have this conversation, I'm in New York and I hear the Blue Angel at Fleet Week's ending and I can mm-hmm. hear the Blue Angels leaving and I can hear it, you know, as the ships are headed out today. And I think about this huge military response uh, and Fleet Week in New York was led by the coal this time. And, and I explained to some of my neighbors, hey, that's the coal. Let me tell you why that's important. And I think that this um, this understanding that this is an evolution Right, that can take many forms, and the coal, you know, is an extension of 9/11 in some ways. And understanding that, you know, Timothy McVeigh and um, and January 6 and whatever comes next are interconnected. I think is is very important. But I love this concept of a shadow army. I mean, it, it's terrifying, but I think it's accurate. In that shadow army, you've also got the former National Security Advisor and Mike Flynn. Right, so this is a formidable group of people in any other country. People will be talking about taking them out here. You know, they're on TV all the time and they're not arrested. So I want to ask you in that context of the shadow army, Stuart Rhodes has been found guilty of a seditious conspiracy, right? 18 year sentence. Um, I said last week, I don't think it's enough because he, he can get out. I understand how the law is written. That seems to be the maximum penalty or close to the maximum penalty. Plenty of folks in my network say he should be put to death. Now, I know that that sounds extreme. But when you hear the judge say, you are a threat and I'm not letting you go, and he says, um, I'm going to continue to attack America, he has no apologies, and Trump said he will pardon him, um, is the law failing us in, 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 this, in this response to the shadow army? We're, we're only, I don't know, a quarter through it, halfway through it. But when you look at the legal framework, it feels like it's taken forever to get these guys off the street. Some of them may still be wandering around. Uh, and then when they get them, it seemed like for a while they've been easy on them. And now the big crown jewel that is Stuart Rhodes is getting 18 years. I want to see him in Guantanamo. I want to see them all in Guantanamo off the battlefield. How do you how do you view it as a legal and, and national security expert? So fighting, so combating domestic enemies is much more difficult than combating foreign enemies. You know, we've both taken an oath to protect the United States against enemies foreign and domestic, and the domestic side is just harder from a legal perspective. And to use the comparison to um, 9-11 international terrorism, when it comes to foreign terrorism, we have many tools in our toolbox that we can use that we simply can't use here at home. So let's take, for example, um, electronic surveillance. You know, you just have to be affiliated with Al-Qaeda and you can go into a FISA court and be able to surveil someone. And and, and to be clear, you can surveil them even if they're here in the United States. When I say domestic, I mean, like, you know, arising from like domestic organizations. Um, And for, you know, because of our, the buffers that we give for free speech, for political speech, which is the most protected speech we have, because of, um, you know, constraints and guardrails that have been put in place because law enforcement and intelligence, including the FBI and CIA, did not utilize their powers well in the past, in the 60s and 70s, they abused them. Um, There is a lot, there's a huge scope for 
groups like the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys to operate in this country. I mean, and then you just tack on like all of our gun laws, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, blacks gun laws onto that. Um, so I think that that's legally a huge part of the problem. And then I think we also have trouble getting our mind around the idea. So seditious conspiracy is basically the closest crime you have to treason. When I teach it, I I call it treason's cousin, Mm. right? This is basically levying war against your government um, with the intention to overthrow it. And, you know, it's the use of force to resist the authority of the United States. And the, the, the extraordinary thing about the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers convictions is that they were successful. I mean, and that might that should be kind of a silver lining and maybe some hope for the future because um, the Justice Department has failed in its, you know, recent attempts. I mean, going back to the 80s to try to prosecute these groups um, for for these types of plots under seditious conspiracy. Um, so there is, it seems, and of course, January 6th was such a spectacular, like, you know, everybody saw it. So it's like, it's hard, you know, it's not, it wasn't just a plot, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was, you saw them doing it, which might've made it easier. Um, but I think that there, there are a lot of legal constraints. I'm not sure I would say the law is failing us as much as, um, well, I don't know where, you know, I, I well, maybe is it, is it, look, we don't have the tools to fight this enemy, right? Or, or we don't have the structures or the systems. Or, and I would argue even the leaders, you know, in many ways, you know, we re- revamped our entire society after 9-11 to battle this boogeyman that was terrorism. And, you know, the old saying in the army is you're, the army is always built to fight the last war and not the next war. It, it feels like our entire country is not built to meet this threat. And, you know, when I was on MSNBC getting into it with with what normally Democrats you know, they think Joe Biden is the answer here. And he just doesn't feel like, in my view, he takes it on aggressively at times. But he's also, you know, he is commander in chief and he has a responsibility to keep us safe. But but this is not like an electoral cycle time that we can wait. And it feels as though he is not the only solution to, to attacking this problem. So if we can't count on the Justice Department and the political system moves too slowly and this this ex-president is still free running around, ramping him up with Mike Flynn and others. How do you combat this, Asha, given your expertise, if you were going to advise the president or even yet advise the country, because we don't want to wait for a political leader, how do we as a nation combat this threat? Yeah, I mean, I teach about information warfare, and I think that we do need to start in that space, right? How people's perceptions and um, understanding of the world around them is being shaped by our media, by social media, by you know, these different networks, um, including networks that are kind of essentially propaganda networks um, that are effectively recruiting um, people into this ideology. This is ideology. And then we need to understand that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure, Paul, you know, you're familiar with the Turner Diaries. And um, this is, you know, this is a, a, a plan, like a kind of a blueprint for how to achieve a particular kind of, you know, racially pure utopian society. Um, And I think to the kind of focus of this podcast, we need to acknowledge that 
military and law enforcement and former military and law enforcement are primary targets for recruiting recruitment into this ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the Oath Keepers? The Oath Keepers was created for people who have taken an oath to serve the United States. Like these are first responders, law enforcement, military. That's what the group consists of. That's their point. And so I, you know, for me, the biggest like disappointment in the last few weeks was learning that the Defense Department has all but abandoned its efforts to combat extremism. And I think the key here is that because this extremist ideology has now become intertwined with at least a wing of a p- political party that has representation and actually has a candidate who's running for the president of the United States and who might right. win, it becomes incredibly difficult to disentangle. And you then have you know agencies like the FBI in this position of being accused of trying to monitor political beliefs or punish people for their political beliefs as opposed to their violent designs. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I think it does. I think it's right. I mean, I think this is Osama bin Laden's dream. It's like we're, we're so wrapped up in our own politics that it's paralyzing our ability to respond to anything. I mean, our government can't respond to the debt limit. They can't respond to national disasters at times. And they can't respond to an emerging threat like this, where the Department of Defense has to deal with Senator Tommy Tuberville saying, yeah, like, you know, whether not whether he walks it back or not, yeah, we should let white nationalists in the military. That's that's what he said. Now he that walked is. it back and tried to clarify it. But if you're a white nationalist on Reddit, that's that's green light. Okay. Well, he kind of told on himself, Paul, because right. he wa- the way he walked it back is, you know, people are equating white nationalists with MAGA. And it's like, well, why are people doing that? Like, right. in other words, I'm sure there are, look, I'm sure there are Trump supporters who are not white nationalists, but there is a reason that th- that, that is an overlapping Venn diagram. Yes. Based on what people yes. say, what what elected yes. officials say, what yes. Marjorie Taylor Greene says, what yes. he himself says, what they said on on January. You 6th. have to believe so- we have to police ourselves. And I've said this about the veterans community. There were veterans on, on January 6th. There, there, there are extremists in the military. I ran a veterans organization. I remember someone in my office walking in and saying, hey, these guys want to come to our event. We got to figure out a way to not. And I was like, who are they? They're like, they're the Oath Keepers. Like, what is the Oath Keepers? This was 15 years ago. I didn't know what they were. They would try to recruit at IAVA events. They mm-hmm. would try to recruit in the military. We know that is the case, but I feel like there's a weak spine response often from the Democrats. And I'm looking to independents and national security people and others who can at least respond in the public dialogue to force our leaders to respond where it feels like the sec def is handcuffed and he's going to watch what he says. Millie steps out and starts to attack and he gets shredded by Fox News and then kind of backs off. And we're waiting for, you know, the 82 year old white guy who's president to frame this up for America. So can I ask you, Asha? Well, I mean, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to this point, you know, part of the problem here, and I think this is what you're getting at, is Democrats suck at this. <laughs> they really suck at it. They suck at all kinds of messaging, but especially, you know, they're just it. I don't know if it's um, being afraid of being accused of whatever, but um, like you you said earlier, they they are afraid to name it and name it clearly. Um, and, you know, that that is definitely part of the problem. Um, but go ahead. 
No, I think, you know, Republicans are crazy and Democrats are wimps. And, mm-hmm. and that's like where we are right now. And, and you know, I said this before, you know, if 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 the extreme right wing is, you know, Trump and Putin, the Democrats are not Ukraine. Like we can't count on them to save us from this attack. I mean, they're more like Moldova or Poland or something yeah, else. Yes. <laughs> like we're kind of hoping for them to respond, but but like we can't. No, hope because hope. there's this weird, like kind of wonky approach with Democrats that you know, we'll just pass legislation that helps people. And right. that's going to like, or it's election. Like, we'll wait for know. elections because election, the election two and a half years from now is going to be the solution to Stuart Rose cooking up a pipe bomb. Right. right. And, and this is kind of, I think gets to like, you know what Ukraine understands you can Ukraine understands that they're fighting a kinetic war, but they're also fighting an information war. Mm-hmm. And, and Zelensky has been very savvy in shaping world opinion in a way that mobilizes people in support of their cause. Mm. And this is the piece that I think Democrats don't understand. They think their, you know, their work is going to speak for them. Like nobody freaking cares. Yeah. Like definitely need- plan, like really nice, you know, great. But, but at the end of the day, if you have a particular segment of a mainstream political party naming your political party as the enemy not russia not white extremists you know a white white power nationalists but democrats like that's a problem that that is where the path to authoritarianism starts um and and that has to be um addressed i think also naming it and then the other piece that i think to create um, to, to address it is we have to start creating, recreating social trust, you know, and mm-hmm. I think this goes both ways of like, you know, this, this um, making fellow citizens the enemy for whatever, you know, along whatever cleavage um, is, is destructive. It's, it, it's not a sustainable democracy. Yeah. Uh, on that basis. Yeah. I use the hashtag. Our enemies are celebrating. I mean, every time this happens, our enemies are celebrating. Putin's celebrating. Kim Jong-un is celebrating. Asha, I want to ask you, we're kind of talking about this Ukraine parallel where I've often said Ukraine feels more American than America does right now. But, <laughs> but what they also have is Zelensky. So who is our Zelensky? Who is America's Wyatt Earp, right? Like who's the one who's going to come in and clean this up because it's not Biden. Right. There's no Colin Powell floating around. Obama's, you know, not engaged. Like who is who we they, everybody. Democrats are always hoping. I think it's going to be Mueller or it's going to be someone else. Like Who's going to be this Wyatt Earp that comes in and finally gets Trump right now? Is it going to be Letitia James? Is it going to be Stacey Abrams? Who is it going to be? So uh, two part question, Asha. To, to and, and I know I've got to let you go and you're going to stick around for our Patreon members. And thank you for doing that. But who is the leader that can respond or leaders? that can respond to this in terms of framing it for the American people. And what's next for Trump? Like, do you view this at a time where, is he going to do the perp walk? Is he going to be in handcuffs? Is he going to, you know, is this the first indictment of a number that will have him in indictment land until the election? Um, How do you see those two pieces unfolding over the course of the next year? So, you know, I think that the people that we need right now are frankly, Republicans. Um, you know, I think Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney have been at the front of this, but you need more of a critical mass. Like you need Mitt Romney. You need these people who can speak to their own tribe and give people permission to take the off ramp. 
Mm. Because Biden's not going to convince those people. Like you, you need, and, and there's actually research on this. You need elites in the in-group that to, to say enough is enough. And you need it to be a critical mass. And that's when you'll start to shift public opinion. Now, as far as who's going to get Trump, um, I really don't know. I frankly think this is a very uphill battle. I do think he'll be indicted. But, you know, he has to ultimately get convicted by a jury of his peers. And, you know, the president of the United States is a very popular person. <laughs> like it's, it's you know, to find a, a unanimous jury that's not going to be sympathetic um, is, I think, a hurdle. And then on top of that, that's not disqualifying for him to run for president. And quite frankly, I'm sorry, but the crazy train is barreling full speed ahead. And I believe that whether he's indicted, whether he's charged, whether he's convicted, this man will run. And frankly, given the state of where we are today, I think it's possible he could win. And then we are in a constitutional crisis. I agree with you on all of that. Um, I think the every indictment is fuel in his tank. Um, he, I explained this to somebody when I was coming out of MSNBC, because every time I'm over there, I have to do a lot of explaining. I was just like, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the people that he has galvanized are also people that are in the independent community that are simply fuck you to the man, fuck you to the system, fuck you to the cops, fuck you. to the, the it, And it's also like white permission to say, like, you know, fuck you to the IRS. Right. Like they want they won't always say fuck you to the cops, but they'll say fuck you to the IRS. They'll say fuck you to taxes. And he gives voice and the FBI and the FBI now. Right. Like like this is upside down land where Republicans can attack the military and attack the FBI and attack these these really important guardrails of our of our society. So I keep hoping that there will be this, you know, retired FBI agent who rises up and runs for maybe Kinzinger has to run simply on this platform alone on accountability for Trump. And then he steps away to so as not to be a spoiler. But I keep looking for someone who's going to punch him in the face politically. And it's not going to be Ron DeSantis. And it's not, no. I hope it's someone from Ron within DeSantis the party, but, is using his playbook. Yeah. 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 So let me ask you last question. And then I'm going to let you go. And you're kind enough to stick around. Um, are, are there leaders out there or people working in the national security or intelligence or legal space that, that give you hope? You know, we lay out a, a pretty grim view for what could happen, but are there folks that maybe aren't on TV or in local office or writing that you look to and say, that's one who's like, who's speaking truth to power, who must be amplified, who isn't getting the shine that he or her, uh, uh, he or she needs. Yeah. You know, somebody that I've been really paying attention to in the last couple of months um, is Dan Goldman, who was just elected to Congress and he's on Jim Jordan's clown committee. Um, and he just calls it out. Like, I think, you know, he does such a good job of like it's just so ridiculous that that whole committee. But um, and he's he's very powerful in kind of the way that he frames things. The other day, like he kind of talked about how the attacks on the FBI, like what the goal is, is that you delegitimize the investigators so that you can delegitimize the outcome. And this is straight from the authoritarian playbook. And I think that's what we need more of. Um it's really hard in today's information space to cut through the noise. So I think you're not going to find like really the local person, like some of, I think it might have to come from the people who have the spotlight. Uh, but he's somebody I think um, that has been really good. And I think 
could be a ray of hope for the future in terms mm. of maybe, um, you know, somebody younger and, uh, uh, you I'm, know, I'm rooting for him. He's my yeah. Congressman. He's a friend. I known him for a long time. I'm, 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 I'm hopeful, but I don't know if I share your, your, your optimism and his ability to crack through because now it's even tougher because he's an elected Democrat from New York. I don't know how yeah. he shreds that. And maybe he won't be in Congress long and he takes on a new role where he can be. What kind, what of, kind of person do you imagine? Well, like, actually, I want to ask you, I can't let you go without asking you about the person that I think is really like by default, maybe the one who has to drive this, which is full of so much risk and danger, but you, I think we're from Baltimore, right? I mean, Wes Moore is coming. Oh fast. yeah. He's great. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's going to be exceptionally hard for a black man to make this argument to America, to white America. But I think he's kind of like I told somebody the other day, we talk a lot about The Rock on this show. I'm like, Wes is like the real version of The Rock. He's 82nd Airborne, Rhodes Scholar, super handsome, great communicator. He can do everything. He's kind of a multi-sport athlete. And I think if he cannot be too much of a Democrat, I think he can he can be an example of someone of a next generation that can appeal. I wish he was an independent. I wish it was someone. Yeah, because I, I think as soon as they see Democrat, the people we want to reach are gone. And uh, I think you're so right. I like, I love. Yeah, he he's such a great example. And to your point, <laughs> you know, where you said it, 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 you can't if he doesn't have to be too much of a Democrat, because I think we do need to acknowledge, and this is, I am not both sizing because the, the polarization is asymmetrical. This mm -hmm. is studied, right? The, you know, right side of the political spectrum has gone more extreme than the left, but the left has moved farther left. And so you do have a pull from, you know, the far left on the candidates who might want to try to ride more of the center in, in an effort to be, to, create more appeal and to yeah. bring more people in to counter the force on this point. I think a great movie I always recommend is the movie. No. And this is about uh, how Pinochet was lost the referendum in mm. Chile after being a dictator for 17 years. Mm. And he held a referendum after, you know, in response to international pressure he was a dictator, like he, you know, thought he had it in the bag because, of course, he controlled the press, he controlled everything. And really, it's about how the opposition, who represented a wide variety of political position, you have everything from the communists to, you know, the more center left and, and even maybe more center right, like they had to find a way to come together for the purpose of defeating him. Mm. And, you know, like then you can go back to arguing about all. Hmm. crap you want to argue about like that's not the right now like like debt relief or whatever it is like no one cares right now i mean yeah. people do care i don't mean to say that we have a supreme court case coming but in terms in terms of the bigger threat yeah the goal should be to align hmm. for well, democracy you've been aligned for democracy for your entire <laughs> career um i hope you run for office one day because you're the kind of voice that we need and we need your voice in particular you've been you know, so steadfast and doing so much for our country and for our national dialogue and your teaching, which as I, you know, I did in the past is so important. Um, and I'm just grateful for your leadership and your example, uh, especially for young people. You've been really, really rising to this tough moment in America. Um, and I'm grateful for it. And, and I hope they, they go beyond booty calls and uh, give you your <laughs> own show or give you a Senate seat. And our thanks to Pancake as well. 
Uh, He's sleeping who, right here. He's sleeping right here. But yeah, you're going to yeah. come over to talk to our Patreon members about pancakes and waffles and more. But until then, um, Asha, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's been really great. Stay vigilant, my friend. Thank you. Ash is awesome. Now I think you understand why I am so grateful to have her on the show. The helpers are out there, and Asha Rangappa is truly one of them. So subscribe to her Substack, follow her on Twitter, and maybe encourage her to run for office as an independent, of course. She's an American hero, an American badass, and a true helper. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Look for the helpers. They're out there. And use the hashtag look for the helpers on all the social media platforms and share yours with me. And I will try to pull them out and share them and share as much inspiration as I can. Lots of you have been sharing them with me on Twitter. In particular, I want to give a shout out to Grace, who keeps sharing them with me all the time from up in Buffalo. And here's one. I just saw the most amazing thing at the Nats game. Fans started yelling for help in mass. Turns out a man was choking. A guy hopped two rows and started performing the Heimlich maneuver on him. Legit saved his life. After 20 seconds or so, the object came out. And everyone cheered. And here's the guy. Yeah. So I didn't see anything else going on. How did you, do you know the Heimlich by training or? I'm a, I'm a Kansas City firefighter. Okay. So, and a nurse. So Holy I, crap. So I did, yeah. So you just jumped a couple rows and went to work. I just jumped I saw up, from right. afar, everyone was screaming. I had no idea. And then I started right. to see you do the right. Heimlich. Yeah, at first, like, tried a couple of back blows because... I saw you hitting his back. I'm like, are yeah, they like, fighting? Like, yeah, just, I, I just bent him over. You give him a couple of back blows. A lot of times with adults, we, we get so enthralled in what it is we're doing. Yeah. We just, it's just a quick aspiration. Oh, man. Whatever. So, so you're a hero, we, man. You saved I'm, his I'm, life. Right. We, we, we just chuck another one up for the good guys. Right? <laughs> his name is Todd Covington. He's a firefighter from Kansas City. And everybody should buy this dude beers because he is an example of what helpers are all about. So please keep sharing them and posting them throughout the summer. We need that inspiration. And when you're on social, of course, please join me and play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. Get on board and join me every Wednesday. Use the hashtag Guess the Guest, follow the hashtag Guess the Guest, and try to guess who our guest is. Now, many of you guessed, and of course, one person continues to deliver like the Jimmy Buckets of independent Americans. Mr. Delfino Sanchez got it again. He wrote to me and said, Hi, Paul. Any chance it's the great and powerful Gideon Diego? Well, you're exactly right, Delfino, yet again. And he said, Pod number 223 with Tim Mack was outstanding and full of the five eyes. Great watch. Were you surprised the Lakers were swept? I was not. I talked about that, I think, in the past. I was not at all surprised that they swept. Uh, he also asked, are my allergies improving? 
they are somewhat improving, mostly because I'm doing a steady dose of Claritin and Flonase every single day. But the allergy risk is high, and I continue to stay vigilant. But thank you, my friend Delfino. Stay frosty. Stay vigilant down there in Texas. There were lots of other guesses that were just off, and lots of guesses, when I mentioned MTV News, of Kurt Loader. A lot of people thought it was Kurt Loader. I'm going over to Instagram. The real Matt Heinz, who said, yeah, I'm thinking Kurt Loader. Catherine Ward, 1027, said it would be cool if it was Kurt Loader. Uh, somebody else said G- GML3897 said it's probably one of the announcers from the MTV News bygone era days, Anna Marie Cox. No, it was not Anna Marie Cox, but she has been on this show before, and we should have her back. And then GML went on to say, I looked at the picture again. It appears to be a man. I would amend my guess. But I don't believe it could be Kurt Loder, could it? It was not Kurt Loder, folks, but maybe we'll have to get Kurt Loder on for a future podcast. Be sure to guess the guess when it is Kurt Loder one day in the future, perhaps, on all the social media platforms. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. Be sure to follow, share, and if you haven't already, please subscribe and go to independentamericans.us where you can get some cool merch. Father's Day is coming up. Independent Americans merch makes a great gift. Graduations are coming up. Independent Americans merch makes a great gift. And shout out to all our Patreon members. If you go to independentamericans.us or to Patreon, you can support this show by joining our Patreon community, where you also get exclusive extra content with our friend Asha. You got exclusive content last week with Gideon. You also got an exclusive heads up on who the guest was coming up. We also share press clips, and we will share discounts, and we'll share lots of other stuff in the days to come. But most importantly, you help us keep this show going. So join our Patreon community and spread the word. It's been a busy time for media. We are out there spreading the word, talking about independence, breaking down national security, and trying to represent for this show and all things good. Check me out every Thursday in the 11 o'clock Eastern hour for my weekly segment on News Nation with Marty Hughes. And I always link that in the show notes, and it's on our website. I was also on The Hill on News Nation, which is a new show over there that aired on Monday, Memorial Day. I'll also be on Deadline White House on MSNBC with Nicole Wallace weekly now, it seems. And I hope Nicole will join us on this show soon. I also joined our old friend Chuck Todd over the weekend for his podcast. We got into lots of stuff from vet suicide to the rise of vet candidates. We also talked about why 50% of vets are declaring their independence from the dysfunctional two parties. And I want to give Chuck and his team huge props because we talked about some heavy stuff, including suicide. And in the show, he paused our conversation about suicide inside the show to share information about the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, now known as 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And that was really well done. It's what's needed. And I want to encourage everyone to check out 988, or you can go to 988lifeline.org, and you can pass that on to anyone in your community and just keep it on your phone in case you need it. Apparently, I was also on The Five on Fox. I wasn't actually on the show as a guest, but they did take a clip, and I think probably tried to dunk on me when I called Senator Tuberville, Senator Redneck. So I want to thank Fox for the amplification. I want to thank them for joining the conversation, and I hope that they listen. I hope this show gives them and you a break from the cable news nonsense and the insanity of our politics. Because we all need a break, people. And there are a few better breaks than the great American game that is basketball.
Yeah, it's that time of year when outdoor basketball courts all across America are packed. Me and the boys are on them almost every day. We walked by one on the way home tonight, watched a game, shot around a little bit, and they're full of young and old and people of all kinds just mixing it up, playing hard, having fun, hanging out, talking smack about their game, their favorite players, and of course, the NBA playoffs, which have been amazing and are now finally down to the finals and it'll be Jokic the Joker and the Denver Nuggets going for their first ever NBA championship against Jimmy Buckets the incredible Jimmy Butler and the surprise number eight seed Miami Heat it should be a fun one now I'm torn here I love Jimmy Buckets and I love Denver and at the end of the day I think I'm gonna be rooting for a seven game thriller but I'm picking the Nuggets I think the Nuggets are going to win it in five. Nuggets in five, there you have it. But basketball was happening all last weekend when many also took the time to recognize Memorial Day. So thank you to all of you who took some time to go silent for Memorial Day to take one minute to reflect with IAVA. If you haven't done that and you want to go back, just look at the hashtag go silent. Lots of good content out there. And basketball, of course, isn't the only thing happening in sports. The Stanley Cup will have their first ever championship for either the Las Vegas Golden Knights, which is still kind of weird to say, or the Florida Panthers, which is still kind of amazing to understand. There's all these hockey teams in Florida. Anyway, there's that. There's F1. There was a college lacrosse championship that happened. That was pretty awesome. There's MLS soccer. And there's even pro rugby in America. And, of course, there's baseball. And as I mentioned last episode, We were going to take our boys to the Yankees, and we did. We took our little boys to their first ever Yankee game this weekend. And it couldn't have been better or more meaningful. It was Memorial Day weekend. It was a subway ride packed with Yankee fans. It was a gorgeous day. Seats filled with sailors and Marines for Fleet Week. Tons of kids for a day game. All the in-game things from the great subway race to the field guys doing YMCA, to Sinatra's New York, New York at the end, and a walk-off win in the bottom of the 10th. It was a storybook ending to a perfect day. And to quote Jolton Joe DiMaggio, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee fan. But it was awesome. It was sweet, and it was uniquely American in so many beautiful ways, like the beautiful game of basketball. I don't like to lose. At Seagull Park, they've got the best competition. Good move, baby. I'm the Duck Foot Nation, Jason Erhoes. Basketball is such a critical part of American culture, and it's about grit, teamwork, and creativity. And the NBA is full of amazing young talent that is rising to meet the moment. Just like our independent movement. And the future of our independent movement will be full of young independents. Because independents are the future and we are not alone in our independence. America is more divided than ever, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that. 
adding light to contrast the heat of all the other political shows and bring in the five eyes. Integrity, information, independence, inspiration, and impact. So if you're now among the 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. You don't have to pick a side. You can declare your independence, be a part of the solution, and join our independent movement that is the hope for the future. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat. Disrupting the status quo and driving a new movement that reaches all across our society. Winning first ever victories and coming up from the number eight seed to come from behind and upset everything. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Asha. If you did, please share it far and wide and find a couple people in your starting five that you can share it with. Share it with five people to make your basketball team a little bit stronger and invite them to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. The hope of a number eight seed to go all the way. The hope we must cultivate and support and share. So stay vigilant. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Enjoy the NBA Finals and stay vigilant, America. Media.